Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat. We're Solution Architects based in APAC, and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and Deep Tech Dive in topics of interest. Hello, my name is Shane Baldashino, and this is episode 70 of the AWS Tech Chat podcast. And joining myself today is Dr. Peter Stansky. It's been a month between recordings, and Pete, we're still doing the social distancing thing here today. Yeah, we certainly are. Hi, listeners. Welcome back to the show. But you know, Shane, um, I've kind of been overthinking this maybe, but uh, is it really social distancing or physical distancing? Because I actually find that uh, I've spent more time talking to people and being socially connected than anything else, to be honest. I think you're right. Um, the uh, number of conversations I've had is just increased. You know, there is a positive to all this. It's a time to slow down and there is a less time for commuting. And hence, you're becoming more productive. You know, gone is the traffic and the commute. I've found, um, you know, I've even had times to get a few things going. Um, you know, I, I've been doing a little bit of work, Pete, in my small shed. find it easier just to get out of the house. I've added uh-huh. in uh, another access point. I've got gigabit to the workbench now. So I'm enjoying this time. Good to hear. Good to hear. Look, we've been the same at the uh, Dr. Pete household. Um, you know, my kids are now back at school like many uh, uh, Victorian students in Australia. Um, so I've been teaching, I've been having these uh, computer science classes uh, for the kids at home. So it's uh, not really a formal class, but we've been trying to have a bit of fun. So we've been coding games on the iPad, um, uh, learning Python and doing some Bluetooth development, controlling our, our mechanoid remotely through Python on the Raspberry Pi. Uh, unsuccessfully connecting to other <laughs> toy Lego devices at the moment. So hopefully we'll fix that. Been uh, playing on with Echo and enabling multiple rooms. In fact, I've got LED strips under a couple of beds in the house now, which are fully voice controlled. Uh, so e- evening lighting and mood lighting, as well as uh, my son's desk is now fully wired. Uh, so it's fully pimped out to uh, look like a gaming rig with uh, LEDs all over the place. So the uh, Spaceship Stansky household is uh, now uh, Alexa voice controlled remotely. So so it's been an interesting time, and I think a lot of folks have been um, doing similar things at home, uh, and uh, you know, teaching the kids and uh, spending some time, you know, sharpening their saws. So it's been an interesting time, I, I think. And um, in some respects, I've been enjoying it. At others, it's just been a, a huge overload too. I want to join those classes. I uh, teach me, Pete. <laughs> uh, Sounds like cool. a lot of fun. Yes, and look, uh, we're going to be making some announcements uh, as well around. Um, a few things here in Australia in the next few weeks, but uh, there is actually a future uh, engineer program from uh, from Amazon. So if you actually go and check out the day one blog, you can actually find some of the really cool things that we've actually put online uh, that kids can actually uh, play with and uh, guess, you know, experiment and be future engineers. So Pete, it has dawned on me, we haven't done an update show all year. And you know, Pete, how much change it has been even in light of the current situation. And I guess that's the beauty of IT. Yes. So in today's episode of Tech Chat, mm-hmm. we're going to run through a raft of updates that have occurred in the last two months, being March through the end of April in 2020. 
tons of updates. But Pete, how about some news first? Yes, absolutely. So look, uh, as you may have noticed, folks, um, you know, the Sydney summit um, ended up getting uh, cancelled initially, but then it's actually moved to being an online event. So I'm super excited to let you guys know that uh, uh, on May 13th, we're actually having the um, uh, Sydney summit online, which is super exciting because uh, the the architects and, and the team, and I've been heavily involved with the team as well, uh, overseeing a whole bunch of things. And I'm super excited that we can now bring it to you. So it's the opportunity where we're bringing together the Australian and New Zealand cloud community um, to help you folks um, you know, develop all the skills needed to you know, design, deploy, operate, and uh, essentially use the AWS cloud. And it's going to be uh, 40 different sessions chain over seven different tracks um, run by our AWS experts. And we've also got some customers also speaking. So this has been an interesting experience for us because uh, a lot of uh, the the team, in fact, almost everyone had to record from home. So there were some interesting uh, logistics. So, But the production quality is pretty damn impressive, if you ask me. Uh, so look, if you're looking for topics on AI and machine learning, you're looking at um, migrations and modernization, as well as looking at analytics and things like security, which you can't always go without, um, then tune in. Right. So whether you're season pro or just getting started, there's content for everyone, Shane. So super excited. And we're also going to have things like virtual activities, including uh, we're going to have this startup loft there, uh, the AWS Builder Zone, which actually is going to have technical demos. Uh, we're going to have DeepRacer. And also, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for anyone who tunes in and uses the actual platform uh, on the day to actually ask experts a whole bunch of questions and answers. So super excited that we can actually do this um, for our customers. Uh, and in fact, there's going to be a whole bunch of those events um, moving forward as well. Now, in terms of other news, uh, super exciting announcements. We've got uh, two new regions to talk about, and one of them is South Africa. So you guys would have heard about these getting mentioned in the past. Uh, but basically, um, AWS Africa, so Cape Town region, um, is now available. It's actually the first AWS region in Africa, in fact. Um, and uh, the region actually consists of three availab availability zones uh, at launch, which is super exciting. And the other region is also Milan, uh, you know, often thought of as the, cap as the uh, fashion capital of the world. Um, and it's really the first region to launch in Italy. Uh, it also is the sixth AWS region in Europe, if you are counting. Uh, and it also consists of uh, three availability zones at launch, which takes us to uh, 24 regions, 76 availability zones worldwide, worldwide and uh, serving you know, over 119 different countries. And uh, while we're speaking about uh, global expansion, um, CloudFront uh, is at 216 points of presence. Uh, and it has actually also um, added support in China for origin access identity, which is basically a way that you can restrict viewers from accessing content from your Amazon S3 buckets by forcing them, by requiring them to essentially retrieve all the content through the Amazon CloudFront distribution edges uh, network in China. So pretty exciting stuff. Lots of good news there. Now, you've actually you know, sparked my myself to ask a question here, Pete. Mm -hmm. So DeepRacer. Now, hopefully for those who are familiar with DeepRacer, you know, it's a AI ML controlled remote control car that you know, allows you to create a model to drive around a track. How does that work in a virtual sense? Well, you get to tune and check it out. But I'll give you a hint. If you actually Ooh. have already been playing with it, uh, you, you can do much of this in a virtual space anyway, right? Um, and I know you've run some uh, deep racer events with our customers here in Australia. Um, a lot of this stuff can actually be done um, in the cloud. Um, so the beauty of... Um, 
virtualization and being able to actually run some of these things. But uh, uh, great question. Tune in, check out, and come and have fun with us because it's a great event. It's uh, not a marketing event. It's basically a learning opportunity where we share with our customers what um, you know you can do with the cloud. And we also have customers speaking about what they've done uh, with their technologies and their solutions and how they've actually leveraged our services in all sorts of weird and wonderful and amazing ways. I will have to tune in. And listeners, I hope you do too. Okay, on with the show. There is a lot to get through here today, so we need to keep this short and sharp. You know, over 30 updates we're going to cover today. And the first thing I want to talk about is for those who are using Amazon Guard Duty, this should be a staple in most companies who leverage AWS. Now, there's been a reduction in Guard Duty pricing. Now, this is region based, so check the region in which you operate. But VPC flow logs is one dimension of which guard duty pricing is calculated. And now there is a new top tier for log volumes of over 10,000 gigabytes. Now, if you are parsing more than 10,000 gigabytes of VPC flow logs, this new tier is 40% cheaper than the previous tier. Now, this won't be for everyone, but if you're operating at scale, it will. Now, also, I'd like to call out guard duty changes all the time. Now, we've spoken on the show over time about new detectors that guard duty have launched. Well, now, if you want to be notified about these new detectors, there's an SNS topic to which you can subscribe to. And we'll leave a link to this in the show notes. So if you are leveraging guard duty, not only for you know notifying you, but maybe you want to take actions. Now, this is a proactive way to update your workflows. Fantastic. So you can be uh, event-driven. Great. It's a great idea. Now, listen, uh, another exciting announcement is the announcement of a new service called AppFlow. So AppFlow is a fully managed integrated service that uh, um, enables you to securely transfer data between different software as a service applications. So we're talking about things like Salesforce, Marketo, Slack, ServiceNow, as well as AWS services like S3, Redshift, in just a few clicks. So with App, um, AppFlow, you basically uh, run data flows uh, literally at any scale and at varying different frequencies that you choose from. So you can have it on a schedule or you can respond to a business event or just do it on demand whenever you feel like it. So AppFlow includes lots of powerful data transformation capabilities so that you can basically um, map different fields, uh, merge things together, mask or filter, uh, and also you can validate all this data to generate really rich um, insights and you know ready-to-use data as part of, you know, the, those flows uh, without too many steps at all, in fact. So AppFlow automatically also encrypts the data as it's uh, moving, so in flight, and also allows users to restrict data from flowing over the public internet. If you are connecting to those software as a service application providers that happen to be in, on AWS, and that is done for the magic of Amazon Private Link, which, which reduces the exposure to security threats because it is actually doing VPC peering behind the scenes, for those of you who are familiar with Private Link. And... Uh, AppFlow um, supports Amazon S3 and 13 different application sources of data, uh, as well as Amazon S3, Redshift, Salesforce, Snowflake as destination chain. So uh, a very uh, cool uh, new uh, service that actually allows uh, people who aren't necessarily very technical uh, to be able to uh, sit in the console and use this service. Yeah, look, I managed to kick the tires on this service. It fills a gap. So the audience here is not a developer. At launch, there is no CLI or SDK support. And whilst this is coming, we expect the majority of end users of his product to use a console. 13 uh, integrations today, more will be coming later in 2020. And to wire this up, it's really a three-step process. You know, configure your flow, which is setting the source and destination, e.g. it could be Salesforce or Google Analytics into S3. 
you know, map your fields and then configure your data flow trigger. So is it a once-off? Are you going to immediately, you know, do the schedule, immediately do this? Is it going to be on a schedule or is it going to be an event-based? E.g., maybe a new object appears in Salesforce. So if you have your data in a SaaS application and you want to pull it into AWS, this may very well be for you. Let's move on now, Pete, into some database updates. So there's lots of database updates to cover here. Now, I'm just going to run through a raft of version updates. There is a lot of updates here. <laughs> All right. RDS for Postgres SQL now supports minor versions 11.7, 10.12, 9.6.17, .7, and 9.5.21. Um, you know, contains bug fixes improvements done by the Postgres SQL community. RDS for SQL Server supports new minor versions. So it's SQL Server 2017 is CU19, so Cumulative Update 19. 2016 supports Service Pack 2, Cumulative Update 11. 2014 supports Service Pack 3, Cumulative Update 4. And 2012 supports SP4, Service Pack 4, and GDR. To be honest, I don't know what GDR is. Maybe you do, Pete, coming from Microsoft land. Um, but it's a new uh, version of SQL Server. Actually, I don't, RDS, to be honest. I haven't looked at you that don't. for a long time. It's, uh, I, I must be losing my, my magic touch. Look, I remember installing the cumulative updates for SQL Server, and it was a bit of a pain, to be honest. It was not, you know, it was a hotfix effectively, like an in-place patch. It wasn't a service pack. It was, uh, you know, an update that sat in between in a service pack for the database engine. I will endeavor to understand what GDR is later. <laughs> but for now, let's keep going. Okay, so RDS for MySQL now supports minor versions 5.6.46, 5.7.28, and 8.0.17. MariaDB supports 10.4. And look, some of the uh, new features in 10.4 include you know, instant drop column operation, additional authentication capabilities, and a capability to reload new SSL certificates without restarting the server. Aurora, so Amazon Aurora for Postgres SQL now has compatibility for Postgres 11, and that's available in all commercial regions, which is cool. Uh, RDS, so this is not Amazon Aurora, but RDS now supports Postgres 12. You know, Postgres 12 brings with it changes around PostGIS to version 3, PG Audit to version 1.4, while to JSON version 2.1, and so on. Now, one of the big updates I really like here is Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports SQL Server analysis services, which is really cool because typically, if you needed to run SQL Service analysis service, you would need to spin up an EC2 instance and run that on the side. But today, you know, you can run this on your RDS instance. You know, there is no additional cost to install SQL service analysis services on your RDS DB instance. Um, it's available on 2016 and 2017 versions of Microsoft SQL Server in RDS in the single AZ configuration for both standard and enterprise editions. Awesome. So uh, while you were, while you were busy going through the uh, the micro releases, I uh, I did some research, and uh, so GDR is actually general distribution release, which is simply a kind of hotfix or a patch that contains specific fixes and is designed for installation on all SQL Server instances. Now this is in contrast, by the way, Shane, in with um, reference to Quick Fix Engineering QFE hotfixes, which are intended to be installed only if you experience a particular issue. So the difference is it's generic, the general distribution versus the uh, 
um, the QFEs, which are very much specific to a situation where you may be experiencing um, some kind of um, a bug or a defect or a security vulnerability. So there you go. You heard it first, hopefully here. And um, that's something that definitely caught me out, Shane. So <laughs> as you guys can see, we do lots of, lots of research uh, occasionally on the fly. That makes sense because in the past, I've installed Cumulative updates for buffer pool extensions on SQL Server. So there we go. <laughs> awesome. Well, look, that's a great update of a whole bunch of um, uh, improvements in the world of RDS. But I'm actually super excited to say that we now have generally available something called NoSQL Workbench for Amazon DynamoDB. Woohoo! Now, what is that, you may ask? And it's basically, it's a, it's a workbench um, for NoSQL uh, that's basically a client-side application which runs both on Windows as well as a Mac OS. And it helps developers to build scalable, high-performance data models and simply, you know, effectively simplifies the querying uh, during development and testing. So uh, many of you have perhaps used uh, DynamoDB, uh, and you probably often ended up using it in the console or for the CLI. Uh, this is essentially a front end. So it's a... Uh, uh, really a, a front end that gives you, you know, fast and predictable performance, you know, when you're trying to actually debug or build things on Dynamo. Um, you know, it's uh, very much uh, in the same vein as um, using MySQL Workbench. For those of you who possibly have already used it, if not, go check it out. It's a great way of actually building front end, uh, building the actual database schemas and uh, data manipulation. Uh, so it's very, very much in uh, in the toolbox of most developers. Um, so Shane, I'll, I'll certainly go and spin this thing up when I get a chance. Yeah, exactly right. It's exactly like MySQL Workbench or Management Studio, etc. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier, I find, to manipulate something on your local machine than rather than using a web-based UI. You know, speed, etc. Um, yeah, download it. It's available for Mac and Windows. Give it a go. Something else. So the AWS Database Migration Service, or DMS, as many of you may know it, now also um, is enabled to replicate ongoing changes from any DMS-supported sources, such as Amazon Aurora, MySQL, and Postgres-compatible databases, Oracle and SQL Server, to now... The drum roll is Amazon Managed Streaming for Apache Kafka, so Amazon MSK, which is basically uh, uh, you know, Apache Kafka clusters that you perhaps be running yourselves. So Kafka enables you to perform lots of real-time analytics on your data to get insights faster than you would normally see with other sort of data stores. And now having uh, DMS support that is uh, super exciting. That is awesome. And I'll just correct you there, Pete. It is also to self-manage Apache Kafka clusters. Ah, so not only MSK, but you can go, you know, if you've hand-rolled your own on EC2, etc., you can use DMS. And that's really cool. You know, you can go from a relational into streaming. And we know how popular Kafka is in the community for streaming platforms. That's actually a great point, Shane, because uh, many of the um, managed services that we actually have actually still... Uh, are open enough to be able to plug things into like your existing admin tools and so so on and so forth. So whether it's actually managed by us uh, or you doing it yourself on EC2, um, you will find quite often um, uh, the same tools that perhaps you've been using uh, on premises or when you're running your own uh, infrastructure are still compatible. It's just an endpoint. Cool. Okay. So reInvent, if you cast your mind back to 2019, last year, not too long ago, we announced Amazon Managed Cassandra Service. Well, now this is in preview in all 18 regions. Check it out. Instantiate Cassandra if it is something you use. 
So another super exciting announcement is that Amazon IDS for SQL Server now supports read replicas. So uh, uh, with SQL Server, we have these things called distributed availability groups or DAGs, um, and these are actually um, now supported as part of the IDS service, which means that uh, you will now have a primary database and a read replica. And read replicas, um, this feature is incredibly useful because it's supported on SQL Server Enterprise Edition in a multi-AZ configuration using Amazon availability groups. So what it means is that you would have your primary database receiving all the reads and writes um, as per normal, but you now have the ability to actually have a read replica in place where other applications can perhaps just pr pretty much do queries and reads off the read replica, reducing the load on your primary uh, to be able to do things like reporting or get access to information that perhaps uh, you don't want to be putting um, on as extra load on your primary database. Yeah, and look, you don't need to make any changes to your application here other than the fact that your application connection provider, so when you define your connection string, the provider that you're using, needs to be aware of SQL Server always on. Simple Pretty as that. So really just a connection string change uh, for the endpoint that you're trying to connect to. So it's uh, pretty straightforward uh, and given connection strings hopefully are not hard-coded in your application. That's uh, not, a, not a best practice. Uh, certainly being able to change those uh, to be able to point at the root replica should be pretty straightforward, Shane. Cool, bananas. All right, so let's talk about some storage updates here. So last year we announced a IO improvement for a raft of EC2 instances based on the Nitro hypervisor. This was early December. Mm -hmm. And... We have made an announcement just recently in April to extend this performance benefit to additional EC2 instances. So if you are using EC2 instances on a G4DN, i3EN, INF1, M5A, M5AD, R5A, R5AD, T3, T3A, and Z1D instances, it's a bit of a mouthful there. All you need to do is stop and start your instances and you get a 36% improvement in disk I.O. for EBS-optimized instances. Simple as that. Uh, you know, I'm getting the feeling that it, we, we're all getting tongue-tied. There's so many instance types now that um, it's uh, getting tricky to actually keep tabs on which, what works with what. So uh, watch this space. We'll, uh, we'll try to invent and simplify moving forward. Having said that, um, the, other, the other announcement is that um, uh, Amazon FSX for Windows File Server has announced uh, uh, a hard disk uh, storage option that provides higher available and durable file storage at a price of 1.3 cents per gigabyte chain in uh, US East Virginia region. So for customers who require file systems that span multiple AZs, um, hard drive storage is available at, so it's actually called HDD storage, by the way, it's available at 2.5 cents per gigabyte. And uh, combined with the uh, Amazon FSX's support for data deduplication, uh, you can achieve efficiency of less than one cent per gigabyte. So the new HDD storage type is designed for a broad spectrum of workloads. So things like um, home directories for users and department shares, um, content management systems. So this HDD storage type uh, complements the existing solid state so SSD storage uh, that is designed for highest performance and um, most um, low latency sensitive workloads. Yeah. And look, I'll just add to that. I was having a conversation this morning over Amazon Chime with a fellow SA. We're talking about our NAS solutions at home. Now, yeah. I went down the path of putting in RAID 10. Um, you know, I have six two terabyte SSD disks. You know, cost a lot of money, doesn't give you that, doesn't provide realistically that much storage, you know, six terabytes in total. And he's gone down the path of using magnetic storage, 12 terabyte disks. And look, there are pros and cons of each approach here. So this feels feels a need. Um, 
sometimes you don't need that blazingly fast performance. And, you know, we hear from customers that they love FSX for Windows, but sometimes, you know, it isn't uh, fiscally appropriate versus what they could run on EC2. Now, by using magnetic storage, you know, this really, you know, adds another dimension to FSX for Windows. It fills that gap for storage at a lower price point where you necessarily don't need the performance that SSD disks provide. Absolutely. And speaking of storage, there's some more announcements here, Shane. So starting um, today, pretty much, Amazon Elastic File System, so Amazon EFS, uh, general purpose mode file system support up to, get this, 35,000 read operations per second, which is a 400% increase from the previous limit of 7,000. So maximum write operations are also an unchanged, but they stay at 7,000 per second, which is still very much significant. So the general purpose mode, or GP mode as we call it, is the default performance mode for Amazon EFS. It offers the lowest per operation latency and is also the recommended choice for most application use cases, by the way. So um, EFS also offers the max IO performance mode, which can scale to really high levels of aggregate throughput and supports over 500,000 operations per second, which is phenomenal with slightly higher metadata latencies than the GP mode. So with this launch, um, customers benefit from an increased performance for workloads that need the lowest um, uh, access latencies for things like metadata for GP mode, but also uh, when they require a high number of read operations. And quite often you'll find you do a lot more reads than writes. So that's a that asymmetric model is uh, is actually quite in line with many application usage patterns. So for things like, you know, enterprise resource planning application software, you can now actually host more application instances on a single file system, uh, lowering the cost and reducing the operational complexity that actually goes along with having these systems in place. Um, and with customers with uh, CI CD workloads, you can also enjoy faster software builds, by the way, when you think about it, increasing developer productivity because you do a lot of reads of um, source files before you build that single binary. Uh, and other use cases often also include things like web serving, document management, and uh, you know a whole bunch of electronic document interchange formats, Shane. So pretty cool. Ooh, EDI, EDI, something I haven't heard for a while. Look, I think this is a really good update because I've seen, um, you know, I've seen performance issues with customers using Amazon EFS in an anti-pattern way. So mm -hmm. by, you know, boosting the read operations by 400%, which is significant, It'll mean the service is more appropriate or, you know, more applicable for, you know, different patterns of use. Okay. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll uh, you know, talk about here EFS, like with most uh, file systems here, you know, when you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of really tiny, small files, it puts a lot of IO pressure, you know, circular IO on the file system. And by look by boosting this by four hundred percent, it may allow you know to you to scale. Not necessarily you know you should be, you know, having hundreds of thousands or you know close to a million files in a folder, etc., like that. But you know it's going to raise that artificial limit to where you won't be having performance problems. Indeed, and if you think about most web applications, Shane, you know, like something like an e-commerce platform like Magento, which is basically a P, based on PHP. You know, PHP does a lot of. Um, uh, metadata access and lots of reads before it actually serves and does stuff. So, uh, you know, for those kind of applications, you know, where there is a lot of, you know, more reads than writes. So think about an e-commerce site in general anyway is more reads, get the web content, and then write to the database on, on commit or perhaps um, on a write. So, yeah, very much in line with uh, so many different app, uh, you know, access patterns. Let's move on from storage here. Let's talk about Amazon Elasticsearch. Lots of customers are using Elasticsearch, Alk, Kibana, et cetera. Today, this is a minor change here, but we are announcing support for Elasticsearch version 
Um, you know, there are release notes here that you can read about what comes in 7.4. However, um, you know, you can now create new domains running Elasticsearch 7.4, and we allow you to easily upgrade from version 5, 6, and 7.1 Elasticsearch domains with no downtime using our in-place version upgrades. Over to you, Pete. Awesome. So uh, speaking of, you know, um, computer science school at home with my family and my kids, um, this is a cool one. And for those of you who've uh, come across Deep Composer, which we announced at Revent last year, um, Deep Composer is now generally available to all AWS customers, Woohoo! which is um, really cool because um, it gives developers the ability to actually, you know, be creative and uh, get hands-on with basically uh, a musical keyboard uh, and the latest machine learning technologies, which actually under the hood use things called generative adversarial networks to actually help you create uh, some pretty amazing uh, musical scores. So uh, what's happening right now is with the Composer, it actually provides you with tutorials, sample samples, uh, and training so that you can actually use your musical talents, uh, if you have some. Uh, in my case, there's not a great deal of that, but uh, uh, there's, uh, you know, I can hear a few keys, Shane, which means that I can actually submit my little musical scores that I've composed um, to um, Deep Composer and get some really interesting musical outputs because what it will do is um, not only can you actually learn in, in the console now and how to actually do this, but uh, it has features that provide things like rhythm assist so that whenever, I, you know, you hit a key, it also finds the closest beat to the kind of musical uh, notes that you've actually been playing. So the Deep Composer keyboard also is now available for uh, $99 from Amazon.com if you like. Uh, and the pricing includes a keyboard and a three-month free trial of AWS Deep Composer. So uh, go check it out. It's a lot of fun. Um, and if you're uh, stuck at home with the family and uh, looking to uh, teach your kids some computer science cool stuff uh, without having the need to write any machine learning uh, algorithms or coding yourself, you can just basically play the keyboard uh, and some create some really cool outstanding musical results cool all right i really like the demonstration of that like you i have a zero musical talent maybe <laughs> it's a way to get started okay on to a few lambda updates here so lambda at edge so that is running a lambda function at the edge at one of our edge locations you know a CloudFront pop is in an edge location now supports node 12 and python 3.8 in addition to node.js 10 and python 3.7 so Node 12X is the current LTS, long-term support version of Node, and uses uses the new version 8.74 engine and provides better performance than the previous LTS version, which is 10. So in addition, Node 12X supports new features such as private classes and enhanced stack tracing. Now, Python 3.8 is the newest major release of Python and contains features such as assignment expressions, positional-only arguments, and typing improvements. Amplify. So Amplify, I know I mentioned we're talking about Lambda, but Amplify CLI adds support for additional Lambda runtimes for Lambda cron jobs. So with this release, Amplify CLI makes it easy to create a Lambda function, you know, based on Java, Go, .NET, Python runtimes. But it allows you to create a recurring Lambda function to execute periodically, e.g. every minute, hourly, daily. And you can do this during with, you know, normal cron expression. And the last Lambda update here is a runtime announcement. So Lambda now supports .NET Core 3.1. It's the latest LTS of .NET Core, you know, new features, uh, support for shared queues, unwrapping exceptions, and so on. And look, just remember, and we've covered this in the past, that there is a Lambda support policy. So, you know, as part of, you know, the shared responsibility model and moving up the stack, you will need to ensure that your code base is leveraging supported versions of the runtime. 
Awesome. No, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. So uh, go spin up some more uh, Lambda um, and .NET Core 3.1 um, applications, folks. Now, speaking of containers, uh, which we weren't, but uh, it's, when you think about um, how we implement Lambda uh, behind the hood with a firecracker. So we've got some cool announcements um, around uh, AWS Fargate. Uh, and this is to do with the uh, version 1.4 of the platform launch. Uh, so AWS Fargate, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, is a service compute engine for containers. Uh, and with uh, version 1.4, there are a couple of really cool announcements that I want to actually cover. And these are, for example, the su greater support for elastic file systems. So we talked about um, giving you more more reads at a higher volume with lower latency. So this new capability enables applications that require data persistence and uh, shared storage to actually mount EFS volumes inside your Fargate tasks, right? So uh, you can now migrate applications to Fargate, um, like your content management system, so WordPress and Drupal or other applications that actually share common data sets, which is really very exciting. Uh, the other thing is that... Um, we now actually give you more more ephemeral storage. So we actually, um, when you launch a Fargate tasks that I actually launched, uh, the platform now comes with a single 20 gigabyte ephemeral volume instead of a 10 gig volume that used to have in the past. And, I was, and also has a four gigabyte mount volume. So this additional flexibility um, and capacity will be particularly useful for workloads that actually re require much larger data sets. Um, other things uh, around network performance, you know, as you have more traffic flowing through through your uh, containers, we now actually pump out the metrics into CloudWatch uh, container insights. So that's also available, uh, as well as metadata uh, endpoints are now also available. And uh, finally, to close the thing off, you can now also enable CAPS Sys Ptrace, uh, which is a Linux capability in your Fargate uh, task definitions across all of your available Fargate versions. And this provides greater visibility into your containers and also allows you to uh, use a number of observability tools to provide uh, you know, greater insights such as SysDig to meet your security and compliance needs. So uh, lots of extensions and availability in uh, Fargate. Uh, so go play. Yeah, I really like that last one, you know, CAP Sys Ptrace. So for mm -hmm. those who aren't familiar, what this allows you to do is to be able to take a memory dump of your container. So look, if you are in a regulated environment and you need, you know, visibility to what's running on the container is actually, you know, what you're told to run on the container. This is, you know, one of those, one of those pieces of functionality that allows you to tick a security and compliance box. And, you know, to give you that peace of mind that, you know, if need be where you need to be able to take a memory dump, you can. It's handy, so, but I'll be honest with you, Shane. I, I I have not done anything like this for many many years myself, um, and I haven't seen too many customers that actually have done it. But it has come a number of times, in particular in the financial sector, uh, around security and compliance, and making sure that actually you have the ability to actually prove um, uh, beyond the reasonable that that there is something going on. So if you want to do an audit, uh, this is a great way of achieving that. Look. And that's exactly it. I'm not going to harp on this, but I was working with a customer, you know, a rather large one in Australia. They would not touch Fargate because it did not have this capability purely for that, you know, if regulated environment and, yeah. you know, this capability just ticks that box. It enables them to able to adopt Fargate in their regulated environment. Yeah. So it's usually a compliance check and it's a, it's a way of being able to mitigate any risks uh, uh, to make sure that you, know, you can inspect if you need to. So definitely an auditability uh, tick in the box, which may have actually stopped some customers, as you call it rightly, uh, the adoption of some of these things. So awesome. It's there now. Go play. 
Oh, every customer more. Is- let's keep going. Okay, every customer is different, but let's uh, let's talk about EKS. So EKS, you know, very popular. Kubernetes is such a buzzword these days. We have upped the SLA for Amazon EKS, so that's our managed Kubernetes offering, to 99.95% for Amazon EKS clusters. So previously, EKS offered an SLA of 99.9, and now it's increased the SLA to 99.95. So what does that mean? Now, I'm sure our listeners are familiar with uptime calculators, but put simply, this reduces the unplanned downtime of our SLA by half. So from 99.9 to 99.95. If you look at this in the context of a week, it's 10 minutes to 5 minutes a week. It's a good win and requires no change to any existing EKS clusters. Now, another announcement on EKS. EKS service-linked roles are predefined by Amazon EKS and include the permissions that EKS require you know, to create and manage clusters. An example of this could be you know, creating an EC2 cross-account ENI, Elastic Network Interface, you know, to facilitate the communication between your worker nodes. Now, unlike a normal IAM role, you can't delete the service-linked role if it's in use by an Amazon EKS cluster. And this protects from any service downtime or upgrade issues that could result from you inadvertently you know, revoking uh, the required permissions to manage a cluster. So on the 2nd of April, EKS service link roles will be used to create new clusters in AWS regions where EKS is available. So this is a really good update here. Another really good update here is Amazon EKS adds envelope encryption for secrets with AWS KMS. So we know about KMS, our key management service. Um, you know, We're leveraging this to provide envelope encryption for Kubernetes secrets stored in EKS. Now, Kubernetes secrets aren't an AWS terminology. It's not secrets manager, etc. And look, Kubernetes secrets should be familiar to those who run Kubernetes. They let you store and manage sensitive information such as passwords, you know, an OAuth token, an SSH key, and so on. Envelope encryption for secrets is available on Kubernetes clusters version 1.13 and above. You can use KMS to perform the secrets uh, encryption. You can set up your own customer master key in KMS and link this key by providing the CMK ARN when you create an EKS cluster. When the secrets are stored using the Kubernetes secrets API, they are encrypted with a Kubernetes generated data encryption key, which is further encrypted using the linked AWS key. So it's, uh, you know, layers of security here, Pete. Layer upon layer upon layer, indeed. Yes, so you guys can probably uh, getting a taste that there's a lot of innovation in um, the Kubernetes space, especially in with Amazon EKS. Um, so look, it's frequently evolving, and there are lots of features and releases all the time. So Kubernetes one. 0.15 release um, focuses on stability and maturity of the core feature set. So that's now available as part of uh, EKS. Uh, and what it really does is it includes support for configuring things like uh, TLS termination on um, NLB load balances, uh, improved support for custom resource definitions, as well as uh, you know node local and uh, DNS cache um, graduating to beta, in fact. So lots and lots of releases there. So um, the other thing about um, Kubernetes is also deprecation. So you, should, you guys should always think about, you know, given there's so many changes to the platform, uh, you got to keep watching the increasing innovation in this space. So uh, when you think about deploying and moving between different versions, so um, EKS supports you know, mirrors to the Kubernetes community by providing full support for the three most recent releases, by the way. So that's one. 
115, right? So it's uh, four different versions, um, at least minor versions. Uh, and these are all fully supported today and new clusters can be started using any of these releases. However, be aware that there are, you know, Kubernetes quarterly release cycles, right? And it's critical for you to think about uh, having perhaps scheduled maintenance plans in mind for doing this. So as of uh, today also, uh, Kubernetes version 1.12 is being deprecated in EKS and will no longer be supported as of May 11th. So be aware of that, uh, 2020. So on this day, you will no longer be able to create new 1.12 clusters uh, and all EKS clusters running Kubernetes version 1.12 will be upgraded to the latest available platform, uh, which is 1.13. And look, what I like to tell to my customers here, Pete, is you don't want to, you know, auto magically be upgraded. You know, we're going to do this on your behalf if you don't. Um, you know, as part of using the EKS service or the Lambda, you know, or, or leveraging Lambda, etc., or ECS, etc., you know, you should really understand, you know, the roles and responsibilities that you play and the roles and responsibilities that we play. So I would encourage customers who are running EKS. You know, understand that as Pete just mentioned, you know, we are providing support for the three most recent releases, you know, and to have as part of your, you know, lifecycle management a means that will allow you to keep upgrading through these in a, you know, a more planned manner. Yeah, look, it's really important to be to be aware of this, right? Because uh, with anything that's actually innovating fast in the actual technology sector, you know, you really got to watch um, these new releases. So even though we provide you that managed service, it isn't forever. Um, we do actually take the heavy lifting of giving you multiple versions that you can actually, uh, you know, experiment with and play before making that transition to the newest version um, to give you a chance to perhaps debug uh, or perhaps identify proactively any impacts that may actually creep in as the results of uh, a new, you know, minor platform release as well. So, uh yeah, I'm sure most folks are aware of this, but uh, it's worth reiterating. Um, be on the lookout for what's just around the corner. Yeah, and we'll tell it and we will talk about it again, no doubt. All right. Um, that was EKS. Let's talk about ECS, so Amazon ECS. So Amazon ECS supports in-preview, updating, placement strategy, and constraints for existing ECS services. So ECS now supports updating, placement strategies, and constraints on the fly here. So, you know, as a customer, you can now update the placement strategy and constraint without having to recreate the service with the desired changes. So you may ask, what's a placement strategy? So look, when you create a task that uses the EC2 launch type, ECS needs to determine where to place a task. You know, so we're not talking Fargate here on ECS. ECS needs to determine where to place a task based on the requirements specified in the task definition. And that could be things like CPU, memory, and so on. Now, you would need to have to do this you know, when you define this task. But with this update, and it is in preview, it allows you to do this on the fly. So you can adjust your, up, you can update your placement strategy and constraints on the fly for an existing service. Really, really cool stuff here. You can do this using the update services API to change the placement logic for an existing service by updating the service with the desired placement strategy and constraints. And then ECS will enforce these changes at the time of the next service deployment. This enables, you know, customers to iterate on their task placement logic to get the most out of their ECS clusters. You know, you may want to increase your optimization and reduce, you know, the total administrative overhead. There we go here. I think we're done, Pete, on containers. We are. Well, that's, 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 that's so much. Um, and we're almost at the end of the show. So let me start to wrap up. So uh, one of my, and I do have some favorite services, even though I shouldn't, uh, Connect is an awesome one. I love Connect, which is basically, you know, a call center in a cloud, right? So what we've actually released is, uh, this is not an ex actually a native feature, but we actually have released um, some documentation and capabilities um, that you can actually spin up your own Amazon Connect 
voicemail system, which is pretty cool. So by rolling out a, uh, a cloud formation template, you can set up uh, essentially the entire um, service for you that provisions agents with voicemail feature, uh, as well as voicemail recording and transcript. So it actually will convert what someone has said into a transcript for you, which is pretty cool. Uh, the solution offers a visual interface for managers and admins to configure the voicemail settings for the entire Amazon Connect instance uh, and for each individual service. And look, it uses a whole bunch of different services like um, Kinesis Video Streams, um, Data Streams, uh, Lambda Function, DynamoDB, S3, API Gateway, Transcribe, CloudFront, uh, and Cognito for authentication. So it's pretty exciting. It's uh, well worth uh, checking out. Uh, and while we're talking about uh, Connect, um, the other cust uh, customer asked that we've actually received a lot of was, uh, could we have custom terminating key presses when we're actually dealing with the IVR? So the DTMFs, the dual tone multi-frequencies that you actually hear when you push the button. So uh, for example, what this actually means is that uh, you now have the ability that uh, when you're actually accepting multiple inputs during the call, to decide that instead of having a default uh, pound signal, uh, the DTMF tone, you can now specify different digits, such as perhaps a star or a series of digits like multiple uh, you know, zeros or multiple hashes, uh, which basically is a way of now saying, this is the end of the submission that I'm pushing into the actual IVS, whether it's a, an account number or, uh, or, or, or a stock name of single digits or anything of the, of the such. Uh, you can now actually decide that uh, what does custom terminating uh, tone should be to actually denote the end of submission, which is pretty exciting, Shane. Cool. i tell you what also is exciting is some changes around code build, code commit, code deploy, and code pipeline. Now, look, we're all about, you know, openness here at AWS. Customers have choice. And now code build, code commit, code deploy, and code pipeline have native integration with Slack. So look, customers could already configure all of these services to get their messages to Slack. And I know lots of customers who do today, but that is typically via an SNS topic and you know a bit of glue with Lambda, et cetera, mm -hmm. around this. So this is now natively uh, built into these services. So there is native integration with Slack for those services. Now, another change here on the development side is MSK. So that's managed services for Apache Kafka now supports version 2.41. Awesome. Awesome. And look, the other uh, addition here is that for, for those who are into uh, deep learning, the AWS deep learning uh, containers are available with the latest framework version of PyTorch 1.4 uh, and MXNet 1.6. Uh, and PyTorch, um, the upgrade includes newly added SageMaker inference, uh, SageMaker PyTorch inference, and the latest version of SageMaker PyTorch training, as well as the MXNet 1.6 upgrade also adds uh, the support for Gluon CV. Uh, so it's computer vision, uh, SageMaker MXNet training, SageMaker inference, and SageMaker MXNet. So you can actually now launch new versions of the deep learning container uh, on SageMaker, um, EKS, or self-managed uh, Kubernetes clusters on EC2, as well as Amazon Elastic Container Services as well. So there's a whole bunch of uh, extensibility there and latest updates for the tooling chain. Well, that's it for today, Pete. Over 30 updates covered whilst we catch up with everything that's been transpiring in the AWS cloud. Now, it's been a bit of a different style of show today. Fast-paced, lots of updates. A bit like speed dating. <laughs> a little bit, except it's uh, between you and me, and I've known you for way too long, so it's not really like dating anymore. But folks, listen, um, we'd love your feedback. Please uh, reach out to us um, and uh, give us some feedback uh, as your feedback drives the direction of the show. Join us again next time on a deep dive episode of your choosing. But until next time, bye for now. Keep on building. Ciao. Signing off. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. 
If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to AWS Tech Chat by visiting www.awstechchat.com.